Hey guys, welcome to Is What It Is, a podcast where the life and times of Isabella, aka myself, shape my opinions, advice, storytelling, and decision making. Nothing's off limits, so let's get into it. Hey Taylor. Hi Is, what's up? How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Happy to be here. I'm happy you're here. Of course. I really thought of you really early on in who I wanted to have on because A, I like you and B, I like what you're doing. So I definitely wanted to have you on. Um, I guess we've been friends for a couple of years, not like super tight friends, but definitely friends. For sure. I feel like we have like, you know, it's so funny that the night we met, remember? How yeah. Happened? Like, At, um, where were we? At La Res? Out. Yes. It was a night. Let's go. <laughs> and I, okay. So I like go out and I meet this girl at the bar, right? It's Isabella. Uh, I was like, hey, who is she? Oh my gosh. <laughs> I know. I was like, oh my gosh. I'm like, we just started talking. Like, how do we have such a connection? And then, so we like hung out like uh, all night at the bar. And then like two hours later when it was time to go and we were swapping phone numbers, we like put it together that we went to volleyball camp with each other like five years back. Right. <laughs> like some random like camp. I don't know. Yeah. And I think we were friends or like got along well at camp and then our souls just knew like this person's safe and good. Exactly. That's what I think. Happened. Yeah. And it was so much fun. And then we just kind of kept up and you were at the time playing volleyball at Carolina. We both graduated in 2016. Is that right for you as well? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you were playing volleyball at Carolina. You were like super dope, great volleyball player, really fun. I was just beginning my washed up career. Yeah, and transferred. Yeah, I had just transferred. I had also been playing D1 volleyball. And then it was my junior year at that point and was just like, I just want to go to school, chill out for a lot of the reasons that I think is now what your project is working on is why I kind of left. Interesting. In certain ways. About that. Yeah, in certain ways. Um the burnout aspect. But what I I think where we need to start is like just introducing the Virago project. Okay. And like, just tell me what it means to you. And also I'm interested in the word project that you use. So if you could explain that a little bit. Like the, the word Virago or just like no, the, or why you're calling it a project or why not just Virago? So the Virago project is something that I came up with like two years ago and probably around the time that like you transferred and we're going through the, the burnout and all of that was right around the time that like I started my path and my experience with the burnout and right. wanting, you know, to be, to be done and kind of having, you know, some mental hurdles that I had to go through not physically, but more so like emotionally and um, with concern to my mental health. So 
I don't know. There's just, as you know, like so much pressure on like young college athletes to be not just great at the sport that they're playing at their university, but also, you know, be a good student and have a social life. And it doesn't really leave much time for like self-care or internal reflection and go long enough without doing those things, then eventually you're going to start feeling pretty bad. Yeah. And I feel like that's what, what happened to me. Like I was, you know, in a good spot and like, I loved my college volleyball career. And like, I really lucked out with like my teammates and my coaches and all of that. But the, the stress and the pressure was really, really real. Sure. Uh, And yeah. Especially when you're playing at the highest level that you were at, like, I feel like the level of Carolina volleyball is the the pressure has to be immense. It was. Yeah. And like, it, it kind of, it grew definitely like as we got better, like as a program too. Um, sure. So yeah, it was, it was, it ended up being like a pretty tough senior year for me. And then into my pro career, I played for a season in Finland and that was really tough too. And I ultimately ended up quitting volleyball altogether and just, you know, just trying to like heal some of the wounds that I had sort of caught along the way and that's that's where the Virago project came about I was like you know female athletes need to be having conversations about how we can like prevent burnout before you quit your sport and before you feel like lost and like you know totally agree or depressed or all of that so yeah I call it a project because it is like a project I mean it's it's it is and I hope to grow it but it's also like I want young female athletes and retired female athletes and you know college and professional female athletes too to sort of understand that these conversations need to be had so it, it I'm working on it yeah project exactly and, and that's why I wanted to ask because that's kind of what I took away from the word project so I'm glad that that's my interpretation and that's how it comes across as well so I think that's awesome because it is it's an ongoing project and it's it's almost like I don't know if you ever get just like with anything in life, there's not really the end goal. Like it's something you continue to put time into and um, you struggle with, like I still struggle with a lot of the insecurities that I think may have manifested in volleyball or in this whole world, because it's so not just a sport. Like it's, and you've touched on this a little bit, which, I love, but almost this dynamic of like the team click dynamic, the being cool, the being hot, the being social, the being seen, the being fit, all of it. And, you know, like for me personally, like I had a really good high school experience, not necessarily like my coach was a pain in the ass. So, not necessarily that, but just with the dynamics of things like my mental health was good and then I feel like it was a huge mind fuck to go into volleyball and the other conversation I don't think we have is for any athlete that's coming from a small town and is 18 years old and was the biggest fish in their small pond to then be thrust (laughs) you know what I'm saying 
yes, story of my life. Yeah, and then to be thrust into this whole world where there's already so many dynamics set up to like, this is how things are done. And you're 18 years old trying to be cool with the 22 year olds that are on your team. Yeah, it's hard. Like I definitely struggled my freshman and sophomore year. And it sounds like you did too. Like mm-hmm. um, my sophomore year at the end of it, I was like ready to quit. <laughs> really? Transfer. Yeah. And that's like something that not a lot of people know, but um, I remember, so I used to be like a manager for the basketball team at my high school and I loved their coach like he is like a hall of famer high school basketball coach and like he was just like super wise and stuff nice came up for one of Roy Williams's like day camps or whatever Mm -hmm. kind of like a showcase I guess I don't know um for coaches and we met up at ye old waffle shop hell yeah yeah and I told him it was like in our spring season of my sophomore year I was like I'm ready to throw in the towel. Like I can't get my grades right. Like I feel like my coaches have like, you know, no hope in me. I don't think I'm ever going to play. Like I just feel so lost and like, I don't know if I like should even be here. Like, I feel like I'm out of my league. And he was like, well, what if you just tried to like give your 100% like just to the moment and stop thinking about like the shit that's going on around you and like Mm. what you are trying to do in the future or what you've done in the past. Wow. Great life advice in general. Right. Yeah. And like, it really just like changed my mindset, but I'm with you girl. That shit's hard. Like coming in as a freshman and like getting, getting everything handed to you. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And especially as, which I love about the Virago product is the focus on women, because I think, you know, as a male, I don't know, I haven't ever entered the male sports world, but it seems very much like bro-y and like, yeah, you make fun of each other here and there. But I feel like with women, you enter like this stratosphere of like clicky, clicky, bullshitty, whatever. And it's also not healthy. I mean, there's no way around it, but it's not healthy for like 18 year olds to try to be fitting in with 22 year olds. Like this, there's so much you learn in college and that's the point of college from freshman to senior year for then for all these athletes, these young female athletes that are trying to figure things out to have to be like, no, have someone pretty much run the show. Like, no, this is how we interact with men. And this is how your body looks. And this is how you're seen socially and what's accepted and not accepted. So did you experience like a lot of clickiness? I experienced a little bit of clickiness. Yeah. My teammates, but like, it definitely got better. Right. The younger people were like, we're not doing this shit. And like, we're not going to enforce or like be that girl. Right. Which is awesome. Yeah. And I definitely try to do that. I would say the clickiness is definitely there. Mostly I think two people didn't quite know what to do with me. Like, Mm-hmm. where to put me and how I fit in and like we're like we need to tame this person which I was like totally and it was never gonna work with me and I think I've always been okay with like making fun of myself or being kind of like weird or funny or whatever yeah. and when you're in this d1 athlete world it's like no we're like the cool people so like right. please 
represent us as being cool. And if you're not doing that, then what are you doing? And like, ick a little bit. And I think it took time for me to get to that where people were like, okay, you're cool. It's fine. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I feel the same way. And it's also interesting because like, I know you and I know that like you are avant-garde as <laughs> I still don't even know what that word fully means like I'm looking it up right now because I want to start using it it's like you're like abstract you're right like, okay I got it <laughs> you don't you don't fit in the box and honestly that's one reason why like I've always appreciated you and have I feel like been attracted to you like as a friend because it's, it's not something that you see all the time. And like, I'm with you. I hate, I hate basically the status quo, right? Such a rebel in that sense. Um, but there have been times when I felt like, you know, because of my peers or, um, whether that's like volleyball peers or, you know, someone else in my life, like friends outside of sports, I've, I have felt at times that I need to kind of, you know, be more traditional and fit in this box and like right. play that game for a while. But like, if it's not really you yeah, <laughs> and it's just not sustainable and um, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, so A, I appreciate you saying that. And I think definitely the same thing about you, which is why I think we were attracted to each other. And to me, you represented like this person that was really great at their sport and social and beautiful, but also really down to earth and listened to people and cared and was like way more dynamic than I think some of the women are showing up in sports. And it's not that I don't think women are dynamic. I think that they are being kind of force fed this story of like, no, this is what it looks like to be cool. Exactly. And you know what? I think like with athletes, like or like women in general, you know, like I feel like as a society, we're always trying to prove to everyone else like our competence and, you know, that we can we deserve like a seat at the table with like the men and all of that. But when you go down to athletes, um, there is like this extra layer of perfectionism. Sure. Wanting to get everything right and please other people. And, you know, you want to impress the coach so you can get on that college team. And when you're there, you want to be the star of the show. And like, there's that competitive fire and it's very, very easy for you to kind of, you know, put yourself, like I said, like in that box, because you think that it's going to get you more like, more acceptance yeah. and more praise but and it and it does to some extent like it's such a hard line to balance and it's like you're always trying to weigh and i think in life in general like to what extent do i meet the traditional expectations so that life is somewhat easy on me right <laughs> versus like because let's be honest <laughs> right right and it's so hard and yeah i don't know my just like first two years of college were so hard like you go into with volleyball being a fall sport like you go into camp that summer and it was just hard to fit in and then by the time people started finally accepting me which was like midway through this first semester through the season I royally fucked up so and this again is that dynamic of 
when you're trying to play up and like fit into social situations that people above you are used to or whatever. So at George Mason, there was um, also a men's D1 volleyball team. And so there's only like 20 D1 men's teams in the country. Uh, but obviously our teams were super close. And I think that's like standard for a lot of sports. Like they have their opposite sex teams that they, whether it's volleyball or not, but that they kind of click with more. But anyway, a ton of girls from our team dated a ton of guys from their team. And then so then again, you're not only bringing in 20, 21, 22 year old women, you're also bringing in 21, 22 year old men. And let's not forget the people that are red shirts. So then they're like 23 year old like men that you're trying to, you know, be in social situations with. And anyway, long story short, why are you gasping? I'm scared of your gasp. I'm laughing because like you say, 23 year old men that you're trying to be in social situations. When I was 23 in a red shirt, I like removed myself from right. situation. Right. As they should have, as they should have. But I'm speaking from the 18 year old that was like around the 23 year olds. Yeah. I mean, by the time I was 23, right. Yeah. I was definitely not. Anyway, the whole thing was weird. It was set up for failure from the beginning. But anyway, like we we're at a party. And another thing to talk about is just like the drinking and partying aspect. Oh my gosh. I, yes, I want to talk about that so much. I have plans to cover all of that. Yeah. The project, but I would love to. Yeah. So obviously like, well, not obviously, but I had drank in high school and whatever. It, it was always fine. Like I never got too crazy. Maybe I did, but it was on par with whatever other 17 year olds were doing. It was fine. And then you get thrust into this like house party scene where it's like a ton of varsity athletes and to get the alcohol, all the uh, older athletes are supplying it and they're, and they're the cool kids. And I ended up being at this party and I was like way too drunk, not really sure how to handle my alcohol in this kind of situations. And something happened where I got like kind of entangled or something and like kissed a teammate's boyfriend. Like, and yeah, like, I know, I know. I'm so sorry to that girl slash that team for that. And that that's not good. No, and it wasn't good. But the thing that happened was that the blame got put on me so immensely when he had grabbed my hand and like kind of turned me or something like it was such a weird interaction. But of course, he wasn't going to take the blame as her boyfriend. And this girl that they already didn't know and already weren't sure about that has now then. And it wasn't like a makeout. It was like a passing weird kiss. Either way, it wasn't OK. And by any means. Right. But it just all that blame got put on me. And that like my mental stability any that was there like went out the window yeah it's hard because like when one like I'm sure these girls you know didn't really have much sympathy for you no none yeah and two I mean I don't know on the other hand it's like if you do something like that and obviously like naturally you you feel bad about that because you're a good person and right you know it's not okay to like cheat on people. Right. But yeah, that can definitely put you in like a mental spiral and be like, like, like 
why would I do that? Like, yeah. Oh, and like make you feel bad about yourself and stuff. But everyone makes mistakes, you know? Yeah. I don't know. When you're in college, I feel like it's so hard to like look past, especially, you know, as a woman for whatever reason. And if you're dating, it's so hard to like find any fault with your partner, even though like yeah. the red flags are so apparent. <laughs> the red flags were so apparent and that's why it was so frustrating. But I I took on the burden full frontal because I was like, I did really screw this up. Like I wrote her a letter. I went to talk to her in person. I cried my eyes out and just like was like, I will just, I'm going to sit down and shut up and show up at practice and do what I'm supposed to do and just do what I can. And it got to a point where the burden of that mistake was like almost unrelenting from certain people. And then once I just realized, so I stopped playing at George Mason just after that first semester, it wasn't working out. I was like, I either want to be really good or get along really well with my teammates. And neither one of those were happening. So I was like, why why do I like this? I don't like this school. I don't really like the people. I'm making bad decisions. My mental health isn't great. I'm miserable. Yeah. And when that happened, yeah, they continued to like talk shit about me behind my back and like, right. Just horrible things. So, and this is another fucked up part of the story, but kind of funny now that it's like been a few years, but I ended up seeing the boyfriend at a bar and just pointed at him and was like, come here. And then just made out with him everywhere. You are the worst. See, I, <laughs> yeah, I did. I totally deserved all of that. Because I was like, if you're going to put me in this box of like, you're a whore and you're a fake bitch and you're like the worst of the worst. I was like, I'll give you a reason to think that. Which totally still, again, was not okay. But at this point, it's just like making fun of myself for being... <laughs> an idiot so I kind of went out with a bang on that front and never talked to any of them again wow obviously yeah and then yeah and the story continued that I was like this crazy girl but we he made out with me in the women's bathroom the story was like I went and like attacked him and seduced him I was like he came into the women's bathroom like I, I don't know how you make that story up but that's just my two cents that I'm so angry about that this story has been misconstrued. Anyway, yes. well, I'm moving on. <laughs> yeah, you both consented, but yeah, he was in the women's bath. It's yeah. Fault too. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, they didn't stay together after that, did they? I have no idea. I hope not. I'm sure not. Actually, I think they did continue dating for a while after that because it was like, it, the whole thing was fucked. Yeah, I feel like there's like so many, like one alcohol like yep. and partying we need to make like young people in general just like more aware of like the negative effects of it and like you need to you know really take responsibility for your actions if you're drinking i am not someone who like by any means can preach on this but <laughs> sure from experience yeah that i have done some stupid stuff while under the employment. Right. It sounds like you have two. So yes. yes. Let's like take care of that. And then two, like the guy who is, you know, playing the field, even though he has a girlfriend, like that's messed up. That is manipulative and emotionally abusive and to, to everyone in the party. And then three, your teammate 
Sounds like she has some self-worth issues if she stayed with the guy. Right. Who... You hit the nail on the head. All those things are correct, correct, correct. But the only person, you know, at the end of the day, who I can speak for is myself. So, again, to reiterate, yeah, it's kind of, like, funny now that it's been close to 10 years. But at the same time, it's was I was totally in the wrong on all fronts. And it was a good lesson to understand the importance of how alcohol can negatively affect situations. And I haven't kissed someone's boyfriend since then, so (laughs) you'll be glad to know. But anyway, I guess my point in saying all that is like there is there was so many different dynamics at play. And I was also just trying hard, even just at the party to like, you know, wear the right thing and talk to the right people and drink the Kool-Aid. Drink the Kool-Aid. It's crazy. Yeah. You know, I feel like also just last thing on that story, like people make so many mistakes, like, especially when they're young. So yes, I'm happy you've moved on from that. And I hope like anyone who's listening, who has made any kind of mistake that you look back on and you're like, oh my God, I can't believe I did that. Or like, right. Like shame or guilt or whatever around it. Like we all have like these little Mm -hmm. skeletons in our closet like I've got my fair share so yeah it's not like act like you're the only one out here you know like yeah and you can relax and move on and know that everyone deals with it and learns these lessons and I'm glad you said that to wrap that up because I and I think it goes along with the Virago project is bringing light to that because in that moment on like when the the situation at first happened, when I was like genuinely trying to just like (sighs) apologize and felt horrible. Like I felt so alone and that no one had ever screwed up as much as I have. And how could I be so stupid? Right. And had I known that anyone else had ever struggled. And I think that's the whole point of the Virago project is showing young athletes or any kind of athletes that, Hey, I've been through, a b and c and you are not alone yeah so true yeah yeah and tell me too about what i want to talk about was i think for you specifically like this eating disorder aspect to the virago project how did that display itself for you i think i read that you said at one point you were eating like 1400 calories a week no girl not a week a day day. oh i thought it said a week i was like what (laughs) what okay maybe maybe i made a typo that's it that's like a day 1400 calories yeah but it's just right i was like are you alive are you okay is this the ghost of taylor's past (laughs) (laughs) it's she's now tracy taylor um but either way 1400 calories a day um, like I get through that in breakfast, so I don't know how you did it. So I guess, uh, yeah. yeah, more than that on some days. Yeah. I think like, yeah, I can talk about this. This is, I've, and I'm actually like, so I was thinking about this earlier today and I think like the onset of my eating disorder came from several different areas. One is it's innocent. It's, um, I wanted to get stronger, be more fit and Mm. just eat healthier so that I could be a better athlete and kind of, you know, right. Propel myself towards (laughs) those goals that I had. So it started off innocent, like as a health journey. And 
then I started, you know, looking on social media and like the fitness accounts that I would follow and like, you know, the recipe accounts and stuff that I would follow to like, okay, how do you cook like nutrient dense health meals and stuff? Also, a lot of the time were um, like owned by these women on Instagram who would like, in addition to all these recipes, show like their flat stomachs and like, yeah. you know, talk, you know, really just like obsessed with their appearance and stuff. And eventually, like I started seeing results and I became very addicted to like this idea of, I don't know, just like transforming my appearance. Like I never thought that I was ugly or like, you know, it wasn't that I didn't like my body, like before mm-hmm. I started that health journey. It was just that I saw that it could be better because I was, you know, yeah. seeing these other women. With- and I can control it. Exactly. And I could control it. So there was that. There was the social sort of influence over me. And then there was also, I was in like not a great relationship and you were there for <laughs> fun times. Yeah. Yeah. Not fun at all. Right. I think that subconsciously, like I knew that I wasn't like being valued or treated in the way that I should have been. And maybe I thought like, okay, well, if I can be a better volleyball player and if I can like look prettier and if I can like just make myself, you know, more likable than like, how couldn't he respect me? And how mm. couldn't he love me? And, you know, I was just like so all, all in and just trying to please a lot of people who like didn't really matter. And I didn't realize it, that it was, you know, really affecting my, my physical health and my mental health. So I don't know. I'm, I'm natural. I'm like you, like I'm tall, lean, like naturally. Right. Um, but yeah, I ended up getting pretty like cut and it wasn't healthy. Like, how did you know it had gone too far? Like, where did it cross over from like a health and wellness journey to like an obsessive, I need to look this way or I'm going to feel shitty journey? <laughs> yeah. So the first time mm-hmm. I ever like purged because at the end of all of this, I struggled with bulimia. And that was like at the height, like, right. year, like a couple of years after college. And thank you for your honesty, by the way, and your willingness to put this out. Because I think so many women are struggling with this and it's so hard to talk about. So thank you. Yeah, for sure. And like, I, I have friends and teammates who I know have struggled with this as well. So I'm fine talking about it. But like the first time that I ever like purged, like made myself throw up, like intentionally was the year before like my red shirt junior year in college. Um, and I was like, it was 4th of July vacation actually with my, my boyfriend's family at the time. And like, I was eating really, really healthy all summer. And like, I had basically given up sugar for the most part and stuff. Um, but yeah, I just ate like a shit ton of ice cream, like this one night. <laughs> and I, I don't even know. Like, I was just like, I don't want this in my body. So I think I'm just going to do it. And I literally threw up in the bushes, like outside. (laughs) Wow. It was so messed up. Yeah. And, um, and what was happening for you even before that? Was there some breaking point where you were like, I just want to eat the shit out of all this ice cream? Like, it wasn't like a binge. Okay. That was my question. 
Yeah, it didn't feel like that. No, that definitely came later. Okay. But it was just like, I don't know. Like, I just ate it. And it was what you wanted to do at the time. And then you're like, I realized. Yeah. No more. (laughs) Exactly. And so that was the first time like I ever exhibited like, like that, like, you know, red, red flag. But I, I didn't purge or binge like after that for about a year. And then whenever I was like, by the time it was like the end of my career in college, like my red shirt senior year and six months after that first purging episode, I just became really restrictive. And that was because okay. like that toxic relationship that I was in that I mentioned like ended and I was so sad about it, even though like it's the best, best thing that ever happened in hindsight. Yeah. yeah. And then also it's because of like some family issues. Like my brother is not like in the best of health and my mom was going through some struggles and stuff. And sure. It's just like pressure and food felt like, you know, the one thing that I could control because I had kind of gone on this health journey. And then I started micromanaging everything. Hmm. And that's when like people started worrying about the weight that I had lost and eventually all of that spiraled into like full out bulimia by the time I was done with college and was playing overseas in Finland, which is really scary. Yeah, that is super scary. And also so like hopeful, I think for anyone listening to this, it's struggling that there is a way out. So can you touch on maybe what were those beginning steps for you to start in that cycle? Cause I feel like once you start down that path, yeah. How do you stop? I mean, it's an addiction almost. It, it is. It was like an addiction. I mean, you know, there came a point where I just realized, like, I'm not going to do this anymore. Like, I looked at myself in the mirror after one, like, really bad episode. And, like, you know, my eyes are, like, bloodshot. And I'm just like, what the fuck? You know? Like, yeah. <laughs> this is not me like why am I treating myself like this you know like I had never had issues with my body or my body image prior to like this period in my life and I just looked at myself I was like are you really gonna live like the rest of your life this way like is this what you're gonna do and also it was just like I realized like this is cheating you know like straight up if even if like there was a really big you know like obsession on my half with like the way that I was looking and all of that, because I had somehow managed to like put all of my worth into that. But it was like, I'm not even looking that way fairly. Like I'm fucking cheating. To <laughs> so like, I like how you brought that aspect into it. That's funny. Yeah. It's like so phony, right? It's like, very sports minded of you. It, yeah, it is. It's like, it's like, at least do it right if you're going to do it. Right, right. Kidding. But no, so the first, the first step was one, just like recognizing like, A, like, I'm not going to put myself through this shit anymore. It's miserable. And then B, like, you know, this is a character issue, truly. And like, that's what I really had to look at. Mm. Which is a hard pill to swallow, I have to imagine. Is. It is. Yeah. It's a mental health issue. And also for me, a lot of it was a character issue. Um, you know, how, how do I want to treat myself? Like all of these things. So, 
Yeah, I um, started just like reading up on body positivity and stuff. I literally took off all like expectations and restrictions around food and exercise. And wow. I gained weight so fast. <laughs> Did you? Hell yeah. Because yeah. when you restrict yourself for two years and you're eating like, you know, 1400 calories one day and then like, you know, for one week and then you binge everything on the weekend and yeah, uh, it's like your body just wants screwy. To, right. Yeah. Your body wants to know it's safe and that it's going to get the nutrients that it needs at a consistent time. And so when I finally did just like take off all of the restrictions, the floodgates opened. <laughs> and was that scary for you? I have to imagine that would be when you've held on to that image so tightly for so long to see weight come back. Was that freeing and like exciting in a way? Or was it like, oh, I need to harness this before it gets out of control? It was like, it was not, I mean, it was freeing. And I'm sure like, you know, now looking back, I definitely think like, oh, what an exciting time in my life. But going through it, it's like, oh my God, like I look like a pig. I was so self-conscious in pictures and stuff. And like, granted, like gaining weight for me is not like huge. Again, like I am like naturally tall and like slender. Right. It was my natural build. But you you, like, you know, whenever you're kind of like, sure, not feeling comfortable or whatever. And I was past that. I was, I was not comfortable. Um, I couldn't control my appetite or my, whatever my motivation was to work out and stuff, but I didn't try to. And I, I definitely felt like depressed and like a part of my identity had been taken away because how did you not turn back to the restriction and the purging and binging when you started to feel all those negative emotions that you were so scared of for so long? Because I think that's the advice or the answer you give here can help anyone listening to know how to face that when that comes. Yeah. So like I relapsed maybe, you know, a handful of times along the way. And like this is over two years. So it's okay. not like... And, you know, when, when you relapse, it's like, it sucks because you, you like, you spend a lot of time working towards healing and breaking free of those like thoughts and behaviors. Um, but you know, when it happened and I did relapse, I just like took a step back and I was like, I am like a work in progress. And like, I don't expect myself to be perfect. Mm. That's what you have to understand. Like, eating disorders come from like this desire to be perfect. And you want to let go of that like expectation that you're putting on yourself to be perfect. And you need to do that one to stop like the eating disorder. But also you need to recognize that as you're going through recovery, like you're not going to be perfect. And like, it's okay. It doesn't mean you're a failure. You just like get up the next day and keep trying. So that was sort of like my, my psyche. Yeah. Obviously you have extreme like mental strength which is obviously to be admired and I just love that you were able to face those demons and keep going and like even with the setbacks it seems like you were really like no it's worth me feeling uncomfortable for a while feeling depressed feeling out of my entire normal way of living to let go of this beast that's controlling my life i.e. that eating disorder 
Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And it does get better for like anyone who's listening. Like eventually, like, I mean, you know, we all struggle with like our body image day to day. Sure. I have, I like my, I don't have the perfect like body image, you know, like. And who does? Right. Yeah. There's still days when I'm like, oh my gosh, like my thighs and stuff like that. But Again, like, I don't expect myself to have perfect thoughts all the time. And, you know, for the most part, like, things are, have been really, really good since I just, like, stepped away from that right. bullshit lifestyle. Yeah, it sounds like a, like, release of expectations is really one of the vital steps. It's just yeah. the release of all expectations to eat the right thing, work out the right amount, and then to have any level of like, this is who I have to be letting that go. And the other thing I wanted to touch on, just to wrap up, I know you've mentioned this a little bit with the toxic relationship and dating. I didn't know if you could touch on that a little bit because I think romantic relationships weigh so heavily in college especially but then when you're trying as an athlete when you're trying to figure out like you have all these different like team events you go to or like I mentioned earlier like specific or not team events but sporting events where all the teams come or you may have a specific team that you interact with a lot and I know you were dating someone at the time that was on a team and I'll let you obviously it's up to your discretion how much you want to share but just like how does the Virago project play into dating and self-worth in like the intimate setting? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I'm still figuring that out, but obviously like dating and self-worth and just like protecting your heart is something that's really, really important to me. And I would say like probably the most like common and unifying experience of the female athlete in terms of you know like the struggles and challenges is like dating and kind of navigating this whole world in which like you give your heart and your soul to someone someone you love and yeah and then having to let go and deal with you know betrayal or some kind of abuse or you know, neglect and my relationship, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't all that. Like it was my first love and I really loved that person that I dated. But also I feel like when things did become bad and like our incompatibilities were being highlighted, I was so hesitant to let go. Right. Um, because, well, one, I, you know, athletes are put on this pedestal and we already do that as humans in our relationships, you know, like we will put our partner on a pedestal and um, it's always like, you know, whenever someone goes wrong, like you'll see people have self-worth issues and be like, you know, why couldn't I have been a better service to them? Or like, you know, why, why did they leave me or, you know. I guess I'm not worthy enough and right kinds of issues come up a lot just in relationships alone. But when you're with an athlete, like 
and that's your partner, it's like, okay, this person has an extra, extra pedal stool that they're now on. And so I really struggled with like knowing that like my worth and the value that I bring into this relationship is just as important, if not more important than my partners. Right. So I didn't recognize that at the time. So I allowed, you know, I allowed things to go on and, you know, not just the way that he was treating me, but also the way that I treated myself and the way that I viewed myself. Like I was like submissive to him looking back and like, you know, I would have done anything to serve him, but wasn't demanding anything for myself. Right. Well, I was demanding things for myself, but you know, it it didn't matter. (laughs) I didn't do anything to enforce them. Like I would say all the time and like talk with a strong voice, like, you need to do this. <laughs> right. Which is like, but like, I shouldn't have to do that. And also like, if I'm having this conversation over and over again with my partner to treat me right, to acknowledge me when we're out in public to like, stop texting like women who obviously like are into you. Right. You know, if I'm continuing to have these conversations and I don't leave, like, I'm not respect. Not only are you not respecting me, but like, I'm not. Yeah, totally. And I totally get you on that. I guess I have a couple things to say because I, I mean, I know this person, I don't know this person really at all, but I know the image he had, which was a very good athlete, a lot of attention playing a sport that was highly publicized. So how do you have the courage to leave that when you almost feel like I'm walking away from something that has so many, like, or I guess when your worth is so tied up into that and that they seem to be so great. And like you set up on a pedestal and, you know, how do you begin to have the courage to walk away from that without feeling like this whole world around you is going to crash? Yeah, that's a good question. I I didn't have the courage to walk away from that. Like the end of our relationship started in 2016. That was like the beginning mm-hmm. of a two-year oh, Lord. breakup. Yeah. And so like I can't sit here and say that, you know, I walked away with my head held high. I didn't. Like, yeah. I, I tried to fight for that relationship for two years. Also, he was, you know pretty manipulative on his end, whether he realizes it or not, just by continuing to use certain language with me and staying in contact with me. But I was reaching out too. Right. I think like, I don't know, looking back and here's the hard thing too, is like, I am someone who is very outspoken, vocal. And like, when I have something on my mind, I want to say it. And like, when I love someone, I want to let them know. Sure. I love that. Well, yeah, you love it until it's like bites you in the ass and you're vulnerable as fuck. Yeah, you're vulnerable <laughs> as fuck with someone who's not going to return the vulnerability. And that's a uh, huge lesson that I had to learn over the two years. And it's like, you know what? Like my ex-boyfriend and I, yeah, we loved each other, but he wasn't willing to like show up for me, even though I was willing to show up for him. Right. And so, you know. And that's a like, trap I still find myself in. Like it's yes ongoing in life yeah like that's the thing i think that my and a lot of young people in general have 
this like skewed perception of relationships and like love is all you need and like no the fuck it's not right (laughs) you need more than love you need you need someone who's going to show up for you and choose you more than anything and like right I, I believe that me and my partner like loved each other sure but you know if both parties aren't willing to show up right then like what are you doing i it's so true it's so not just that chemistry aspect and like the fact that i love you like there's so many actions that have to be followed up with that statement and back to what you said a few minutes ago i really loved what you said with not only are you not respecting me but i'm not respecting me which is such a trap i fell into when entering the college sports world and being a young, naive female trying to navigate this world with these expectations and these clicks and dynamics. And similar to how you used maybe food or your eating disorder kind of helped you control something, I found that I used my body and sex to control something. Like when everything else felt really out of control, I knew, like, at least I can make myself desirable, which will then therefore prove my worth. That is, yeah, that's, that is real. Yeah. And I hate it for myself. Like, and I'm just now getting to a point where I can talk about it because there's so much embarrassment and shame I have for, like, the amount of jersey chasing I did at certain points or the amount of just, like, not just throwing myself into situations where the person didn't respect me at all. And like, it's not, I've given up the fact that they didn't respect me, but I think the shame really comes in to like what you're saying with me having no self-worth and it just being like, if this person is willing to like be here with me in this moment, in this intimate moment, that means I'm worth something. Yeah. I, I feel like a lot of people like, Friends that I have, apart from you two, have dealt with similar similar things. And, like, I dealt with that, in it, like, when I was younger before my um, ex-boyfriend and I got together. Like, a part of it was just, like, exploring my sexuality and stuff. But right. part of it is also, like, you know, you want to feel loved and special, even if it's just for a little bit. And I right. don't think there's anything wrong with that per se but i do think that like you know if you're not protecting your heart and if you give your sexuality over to the wrong person it can definitely make you feel i don't know what the word is to describe it i like i like there was just an emptiness feeling i was like trying to fill this void with something that could never be satisfied by these measures yeah, definitely. And it was like almost like I'll give you my body if you can show me love. And they were like, I'll show you love if you can give me your body. Right. Yeah. And neither one of us, I didn't really care about the sex and they didn't really care about the intimacy. And I don't know. I just think it's a it's a situation that I'm sure will continue to arise for young female athletes. So I guess I just wanted to bring attention to it for anyone that is going through that. Definitely. And, you know, I want to say one more thing about that because 
I do think it is more prevalent. Like, and also I was just thinking in my head, like that was also something that was, that, um, occurred in that same relationship I was talking about, you know, Hmm. it's not just like single women going out and like trying to use their bodies to find love. It's like people in relationships too. Really? And yeah, for sure. And you know, a lot of the times, like when sex is taking, taken out of the picture in a relationship for whatever reason, like some people will straight up walk away. And so it really makes you think about like, okay, did this person love me for me? Well, I totally think you're right. And I'm glad that you brought that up about the relationship aspect. Like, are you really here for all the things that need to go into this relationship? Or are you here because I meet some of your needs? And one of them being your physical needs. Yeah. Yeah. Well, dude, I'm so proud of you. I love the Virago Project. I'm ready to hype it up. Also, I was looking on your website today. It's legit. Thanks, girl. I built that shit myself. It took a long time. Yes, I imagine. I you're doing. I love what you're doing. And like, I'm, I am so happy like to see you just being yourself and like just you know, doing the things that you, like, I could have seen you doing this in college. Yeah. To be honest. And I wish I had the courage to do it, but I'm here now. Exactly. Yeah. And like, I'm I'm really like happy for you that like you are finally, you know, taking the steps and just like, just like saying whatever, like stepping into, you know, exactly. So, and it is a journey and it's going to continue to be so. So anyway, people can check out your website. What's the website address for you? Well, they're not going to know how to spell it, but it's viragoproject.org. What you should do is just like, if you can link my Instagram, Okay. Blogs, Instagram, and the show notes, or like you post this on Instagram. Of course. You can tag the Virago Project and me, and then that'll yeah. Of course, I'll definitely do that. So again, it's the Virago Project, which is V I R A G O, and it's Taylor Tracy, who's the founder and CEO. Love that you're baller as hell. Thank you. I love you. I hope to see you in person soon. Yeah, love you guys. Yo, thanks for listening to Is What It Is. To know more, visit my website at isabellazal.com or my Instagram at whyisabellahaha. Music is by The Remarks out of Charlotte, North Carolina. You can expect new episodes whenever the fuck I get around to it. And I will catch you next time. Be you or be don't.